God designed us for life, an abundant life with Him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists. Good morning, Cross United. So glad that you've joined us this morning for this message. Um, so I want to encourage you as we start out to get a hold of a copy of the Word of God, whether it's a paper copy of the scripture or a digital version, turn or tap over to John 8, 33 through 38. We're going to be talking this morning about the second challenge of authentic faith, the challenge of slavery. Slavery, unfortunately, has been a constant plague upon the human condition since humanity fell into sin. From ancient patterns of slavery to the particularly destructive and heinous uh, chattel race-based slavery in England and the U.S. to modern-day sex trafficking, slavery has plagued humanity. And slavery has been one of the most uh, terrible conditions of the fall of humanity into sin. And into slavery, we see there are different types of slavery that into slavery, Jesus speaks a word of liberation. He speaks this word in John 8, 31 and 32. We saw this last week as he said, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And into this this slavery in the human condition, Jesus speaks this liberating word. And he, we, we saw there last week the first challenge of authentic faith, the challenge of abiding, that the results of abiding are that we'll be authentic, real disciples, that we'll know the truth and that we will be set free. And he speaks these words into a people, uh, the Jewish people who had heard him and had exercised some sort of superficial expression of faith. But instead of hearing these words as words of liberation, they hear these words as words of condemnation. They're, they're, not, they're not thrilled by these words. They're offended by these words. They don't really think they need to be liberated. They don't think that they need the freedom that Jesus is offering to them. And they don't think Jesus is one who can offer them freedom. They deny the reality of slavery in their lives. Look at what they say in John 8, 33. We're descendants of Abraham. They answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Now, what they're not saying, what they're not saying is they've never been politically or physically captive or enslaved. That's just 
not true. And they knew their Bibles and they knew their story. They knew that their descendants had been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They knew that their ancestors had been taken captive to Assyria and to Babylon. And even then they were under the rule and the, the empire, the imperial rule of Rome. And so they're not saying they've never been physically or politically enslaved or captive. What they are saying is that they are spiritually free covenant children of Abraham. They're saying that some, like sometimes we may see you may be, you know, at, at difficulty in the body, but you're free in the spirit. Unlike Ishmael, who'd been born of a slave in Abraham's house, um, Hagar, that they are not children of Ishmael. They're children of Isaac, who was born to Abraham's wife, Sarah. And they're heirs of the promise that God had given to Abram um, all throughout Genesis, starting in chapter 12, all the way through chapter 25. He says, for example, Genesis 12, 7, to your offspring, I will give this land. Genesis 12, 7. Genesis 17, 7 and 8. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It's a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring or descendants after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. So that what they, they understood the storyline of the Bible, and they believed rightly that they were physical descendants as physical descendants and biological ethnic descendants of Abraham, that they were heirs of God's promises and they were children of the covenant. And so what, what they're saying when they're saying we're descendants of Abraham, we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? They're, they're questioning two aspects of Jesus's promise of liberation. They're questioning, first of all, the, the fact that they are enslaved at all. They're challenging the premise of Jesus' statement. They're, they're saying, we're already free. We're spiritually free. How can you say you'll make us free? And in, in questioning that, they're also questioning not just the premise of Jesus' statement, but the person of Jesus himself. How can you say we'll become free? They're, they're saying, we're already spiritually free. We're chosen covenant children. How can you say that we'll become free? And in that, they're, they're implicitly uh, um, um, egging him on into to giving away a sort of political messianic liberation plan. So, so they're questioning the premise of Jesus' statement, and they're questioning the person of Jesus himself. And Jesus responds to this challenge, with, and when we see the second challenge of authentic faith, the challenge of slavery in five aspects in these five verses in John 8, 34 through 38. The first is the nature of slavery. Look what Jesus says in 834. Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The nature of the human condition is that everyone who sins is enslaved to sin and everyone sins. We, we know this, right? We say this, we have cliches that nobody's perfect. And we kind of use that as an excuse, but, but the Bible uses that as, as a as a charge of guilt against us. Our actions betray our captivity to sin because our actions flow from what's inside of us, our heart and our desires. Our desires, our want-tos are corrupted because of sin. 
We long for the wrong things. We go looking for life and we go looking for freedom in all of the wrong places. And our own, our own uh, attempts to, to free ourselves only get us further enslaved. I don't know if you've ever had the seatbelt on in the car and it's a little bit too tight and you try to loosen it. And all it does is it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. Our attempts to free ourselves only further enslave us. What sin is, is a parasitic misfiring of our loves and our longings. We sin, in other words, because we want to. We're addicted to sin. And even sometimes we may have sort of moments of clarity and, and we, we see the, the consequences of our actions and we, we know that th something has to change. We don't have the ability to fix it. We try and we fail. We can't change what we think and we can't change what we feel no matter how hard we try. We continue to think the wrong things and say the wrong things and do the wrong things. We go a long time and think things are better and then we slip again. Dane Ortland, in his little book, new book called Gentle and Lowly, says that if sin were the color blue, everything about us would be tinted some shade of blue. So maybe some parts of you are dark, deep blue, the, the really bad stuff, the stuff nobody else knows about. Other parts are a, a light sky blue and almost, almost if you look at it with the right angle and sort of tilt your head a little, you can convince yourself it's not there, but you know it is. You know it's there. Every part of us is tinted with sin. We're stuck. We're enslaved. The nature of slavery is that it's a sin condition and our actions betray that our hearts are captive to our wrong desires. Romans 6.20 says, when we were slaves of sin, we were free with regard to righteousness. The seeming freedom of our own desires to do what we want is actually freedom from life that God intends us to live. Last week we said, true freedom isn't the freedom to do whatever you want. It's the freedom to do what God made you to do, what you were designed to do. The nature of slavery. Second thing we see is the destiny of slavery in John 8.35. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Now, this is an allusion back again to the story of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, and Ishmael. So you may know the story, but basically here, the, the way the story goes is this. There's this man named Abram, later called Abraham, and God calls him, the Lord Yahweh calls him out of his old way of life and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you the heir of all my promises. I'm going to give you kids and they're going to multiply and you're going to have the land uh, of Canaan, now modern day Israel there on the Eastern Mediterranean. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you all of my goodness and my, my promises. And, and I'm going to start with a miracle baby and years pass and the baby never arrives. Sarah gets the idea after, after years and years that her servant Hagar could be a sort of surrogate mother. Abraham could sleep with Hagar and then Hagar would get pregnant and have a son and that son would legally be Abraham's son and legally Sarah's son. And so they go and they hatch this plan and they, they go through with it and Abraham gets with Hagar and she gets pregnant and she has a son and that son's name is Ishmael. But they know something's not quite what it's supposed to be and Years later, the Lord comes to them and says, you know what? I'm going to give Sarah a legitimate biological son. And 
I'm going to give her conception. And she has this baby and she gives birth to this son named Isaac. So Abraham now has two sons, the woman, Hagar's son, Ishmael, the slave, and his wife, Sarah's son, Isaac. And Isaac and Ishmael, there's conflict. And Sarah says, Abraham, I don't want Ishmael to have a share of my son Isaac's inheritance, and I want you to send him away and Hagar away. And so Abraham does. So what Jesus is saying is that a slave doesn't remain in the household forever, but a son remains forever. He's saying that illegitimate children don't receive part of the father's inheritance, but legitimate children do. And Jesus is saying that though his hearers have descended biologically from Isaac, the son of the promise, that they are actually spiritually descended from Ishmael, the son of slavery, because they don't walk in the way of their father, Abraham. Galatians 3, 7 says that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. They're not true children of Abraham because they don't walk in the way that Abraham was most what God called him to be, and that is a man of faith. They'll be sent away as sons of slavery like Hagar and Ishmael. That's the destiny of those in spiritual slavery. There's only one way to remain or to abide in the household or the family of God, and that's the third thing we see. In John 8, 36, the destroyer of slavery. A slave, he says in John 8, 35, doesn't remain forever, but the son does remain forever. So look what he says in verse 36. If the son sets you free, you really will be free. So what he's saying is that only a little lowercase s son remains in the household forever. So if the capital S son sets you free, then you are really free. What's he saying? He's saying that what his hearers need is not a physical relation to Father Abraham, but a spiritual relation to their heavenly Father through the eternal Son before them, Jesus Christ. Only one natural Son of God ever existed. The eternally begotten Son made a human being, incarnate, Jesus Christ. Only the Son can set us free from slavery. How does he do this? How does the son destroy slavery? How does he set us free? Well, Romans 6 gives us a picture of this. Um, In Romans 6, what the apostle Paul is doing, it's a letter written to this church uh, in the city of Rome. And, And what he's doing in Romans 6 is he's explaining why the free grace of the gospel of Jesus doesn't lead to living however you want to live. The gospel teaches us that God justifies us, declares us righteous, reconciles us, accepts us on the basis of grace through faith, not based on anything we did or didn't do, not on the basis of our works. Only God can give us salvation, and in God's saving of us from our sin, his glorious grace is magnified. And so Paul anticipates an objection that someone might say, well, if that's what God does, then I should just keep sinning. Because the more I sin, the more grace God gives. And the more grace God gives, the more glory God gets. So I'm going to sin that grace may abound. And Paul says, absolutely not. You're missing the point. To be saved from sin means to be dead to sin and alive to God. Romans 6, 4 through 7. 
We were buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin ruled by, excuse me, the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is free from sin. Now there's a lot going on in that passage, but basically what he's saying is that our salvation is tied to our union with Christ, being in Christ, identified and vitally connected to Jesus. So that when Christ was crucified and put to death on the cross, our old way of sinful living was put to death with him. Our old self was put to death with him. And when he was raised from the dead, we were raised in a new way of life, spiritually. Only the one who's been free from sin naturally forever and alive to God could do this for us. The Lord, Augustine said, alone sets us free from slavery. He who did not have sin himself set us free from sin. Indeed, he alone came in this flesh without sin. For little children whom you see being carried in their mother's hands, listen to this, don't yet walk and they have already been shackled. For they've contracted from Adam what is to be broken by Christ. That what Jesus has done, the only sinless man who ever lived, came and he lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death. He was buried and raised from the dead so that anyone who's united to him by repentance and faith and brought into connection with him will be forgiven of their sin, washed clean and set free. What this means then is that not that you live a sinless life, but that you live a life where you sin less. You're not sinless, but you do sin less. You grow in obedience and you grow in holiness. What God does is he comes in and he changes your heart so that you want to do what you're supposed to do. Romans 6, 17 and 18, a little further down in that chapter, Paul says, Thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. And this is true freedom. D.A. Carson said, True freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. And it's genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. Freedom isn't doing whatever you want. It's doing what you were designed to do and wanting to do what you're designed to do. God changes our heart. He changes our want to. He changes us so that we want to do what he made us to do. That is freedom. Jesus destroys our slavery through his death, burial, and resurrection and gives us new life. In union with him, our old man, our old self is put to death and a new one is raised up in Christ. So how do we know? How do we know if we're slaves to sin? Well, we look at the symptoms. Jesus points them out. And the fourth thing here, symptoms of slavery in John 8, 37. He says, I know you're descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place in you. You're physically related, again, he says, to Abraham, but you don't follow the more important relationship, the pattern of Abraham's faith. Genesis 15, 5 and 6. God took Abraham outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to them, your offspring will be that numerous. Genesis 15, 6. And Abram believed the Lord 
and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, Romans 4.16, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. The symptom of slavery is that our unbelief flows out into our actions, murderous intentions. Here, literally murderous intentions of trying to put the Son of God before them to death. And what it does ultimately is it reveals the fatherhood, the true fatherhood of these folks Jesus is talking to. Your slavery will be revealed by your behaviors. It'll be revealed by your desires. Do you delight in sin? Do you indulge in sin? Or do you mourn your sin? Do you repent and turn away from sinful patterns? Do you pray for grace to turn away? Or you just dismiss it? Nobody's perfect. It's not that big a deal. Do you feel the seriousness and the weight of your sin? Or do you just dismiss it and ignore it? True faith means believing the seriousness of your sin. And the seriousness was such that it cost Christ his life. And, and Christ's death on the cross demonstrates how sinful your sin truly is. And at the end of the day, it's a question of who your daddy is. That's the fifth thing. The father of slavery, John 8, 38. I speak, Jesus says, what I've seen in the presence of the father. So then you do what you have heard from your father. The words of Jesus reveal his identity. He is the eternally begotten Son of God, the eternally begotten of the Father, and the triune life of the one true and living God. The actions of his hearers, though, reveal their identity. They are children of the one who wants to steal and kill and destroy. And that will bring us, that's going to bring us to the third challenge of authentic faith, the challenge of legacy. Hope you'll join us next week as we discuss authentic faith and the challenge of legacy. God designed us for life, an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists.